welcome to Game Breaking Feature, the podcast where we analyze and discuss common elements of modern video game design and development. My name is Stephen Bennett, and in this week's episode, we're going to be talking about remakes and remasters. Does a fresh coat of paint breathe new life into an old title, or should old games be left behind like Grandma when we pull slowly away from the retirement home? Here to explain to me why Proteus has no bearing on this conversation is my good friend Jared Bruner. Jared, how you doing, man? Doing okay, doing okay. Um, woke up and... Uh stepped in a, a puddle of pee or my dog peed on the ground today so i was kind of hoping for a, a, a remake on this day maybe maybe a redo would be great i don't know if, i don't know if we could arrange that don't really have much nostalgia for this day so i'm i'm pretty fine with just starting it over from the beginning <laughs> i like that you're just trying you're plugging all of the key points from what we're going to discuss into your morning i mean it's just it's, i've been thinking about it a lot lately so just wanted to make sure that we hit on all the points. You know, it, it's like writing a writing a paper in high school. You, you talk about what you're going to talk about, and then you talk about it, and then you summarize. Excellent, excellent. Uh, yeah, I haven't stepped in any pee this morning yet, so I, I, I can't really empathize with what you're going through. No episodes with the child? No, oh my god, yeah, like when he was running around with the shit in his diaper, spreading it all over the house the other day. That was fun. I would like a redo on that so, day. If I could have a redo, I'll take a redo on sounds that Sounds like one. my personal hell. <laughs> well, uh... We are also being joined by a uh, another fantastic guest. Uh, he's a stand-up comedian, a writer. You may know him as that guy laughing in the background on the Nerdist podcast or as one of the hosts on This Is Rad, a podcast that highlights the finer points of pop culture. He also made the kick-ass jams you hear at the start of every single one of our episodes. Please welcome Kyle Clark. Kyle, welcome, man. How you doing? Hey, how's it going? I forgot I wrote your guys' theme song already. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, I, I did do that. Dude, that was that was fucking tits. That I'm you wrote still, that for. He's like, I'm I will be sending you in- my royalty checks or my <laughs> royalty invoice soon. So, ah, oh, no, it's uh that's just a, a weird cottage industry that like uh you know when somebody like does something, you find out they have like a weird side hobby. You know, like uh like you know find out some celebrity also raises horses. I want to be like, oh, that guy also makes podcast theme songs. Yeah, I was like, you were like, well, I made this one song for this one movie I did one time, and I was like, in my mind, I'm like, oh yeah, uh, Kyle Clark is a composer. Let's just have him. Do some music. It's uh, yeah, it was fun times. I, I'm still, I'm still back thinking about that part where you guys equate uh the the process of doing remakes with killing grandma. <laughs> Not killing grandma. Well, I mean, leaving her, le- leaving well, her at the at the home. There are there is some plug pulling happening. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not above making grandma killing references, but in this case. I mean, I, I respect I respect what you're doing. I was like, oh man, that is this is my kind of show. We're just we're the not, elderly are not safe. We're not. We don't have the guts to do it ourselves. We're just gonna leave her there, and uh, it's someone else's problem now. Some coward doctor. Well, yeah. Thank you for making that song, Kyle. I've had um, yeah, happy to. It was uh, super fun. I've had like weird experiences in the past where I, I've had people that have offered to make music for me for various projects, and in. One hundred percent of those situations, it's always fallen through. Oh, really? So, yeah. So it was dope to have you make that for us. I mean, I, I know you're close with Jared, but I mean, more or less, you're a stranger to me, and it was cool to have you be like, "Yeah, sure, whatever." And you you cranked it out, and then um, Jared was asking if I had any feedback for you when you were making the song, and I was like, "Oh, dude, I don't want to give this guy feedback. He he went through all the effort of making a song, but uh, you you took my feedback and incorporated it, and it was." Dude, it's a it's a badass song. I, I really yeah, was, appreciate that. We do get compliments cool, on it frequently. Oh, really? oh, that's awesome. That makes me really happy. I uh, I mean, anything uh, anything Jared does, I want to you know figure out how to support. But then on top of that, it was just fun. I'd literally just gotten like a new 
composing things. It was an excuse to kind of like use it as a test run for it. And so it was, was a kind of a perfect set of timing for everybody. Very cool. And uh, I mentioned in the intro, you are a stand-up comedian. Um, how, how long have uh, you been yeah. doing stand-up for? About nine years. Uh, far, far too long. But uh, yeah, so about it was nine years in April, I want to say. So what came first? Did the podcasting come first or did the comedy come first? Uh, comedy came first, but they almost they they sort of came about around the same time because I had done stand up for a few years off and on because I was a musician at the time. And I was like, no, nah, I'm going to be a musician forever. And forever was another six months. Uh, and then tried doing some film stuff and it was really expensive and I liked performing and I missed performing. And so I started doing stand up. And then around that time, I was doing a lot of commutes for school and work and fell into podcasts. And then kind of just the two became this weird intermingled thing where I ended up, you know, getting a lot of stand up work because of podcasts and, you know, like working for the Nerdist for for as many years as I have, like was literally I started as a guy, I have a distinct memory of like, sitting in my car, like, after work, listening to the Nerdist podcast before I went in to go do an open mic at like a shitty sports bar. So it was like going from that to like working for the thing and being on that podcast is a real, still a very like strange thing that like never really like sets in proper. And then getting to do my own podcast was just an excuse to like have a forum for all the like weird, you know, pop culture and like nerd out conversations that I have with people anyways. I'm like, oh, I should turn this into something. So we literally mentioned this is rad at the end of every one of our episodes, but uh, for, for oh, really? people who are unfamiliar with your podcast, like what is this is rad? What, is, what would you say that is a podcast about? Uh, it is a podcast that is attempting to be an antidote to internet snark. Because I feel like I looked around and there were so many podcasts and so many things online that are just about like, look how dumb this thing is. And like, uh, as somebody who like makes stuff, I'm always like, a lot of people put a lot of effort into this stuff. And I feel like we just kind of turn around and are like shitty about everything. So the idea was like, let's get people to talk about stuff they like and find funny and positive and silly riffs on stuff based on stuff we like. And it doesn't have to be this like cloying, like, oh, everything's great because everything is for sure not great. And But at the same time, coming from a point where you are into things instead of being this kind of like snarky, I'm above everything defensive thing, I feel like is fun because you learn a lot about a person. Like when we have a guest on, they pick their topic and you end up learning a ton about a person based on the stuff they like. And a lot of times it's stuff they don't talk about because you don't end up talking about, you know, those kinds of weird, deep things that maybe you don't get to talk about. And so that's kind of where it comes from. Now, do you find that, um, I guess I'll call your nerdy tendencies have been an asset to your uh, success as a comedian and a podcaster. Uh, yeah, I would definitely say so. It's a, uh, uh, you know, it takes many weird forms. Like I definitely, you know, in interviewing stuff, just having kind of a, a general knowledge of everything is always very nice to have um, kind of falling into, you know, working in entertainment. I feel like it never hurts to kind of have a good knowledge of pop culture stuff, but also like, Sometimes, because I would, I kind of think of myself as kind of a, a, a deep cuts kind of nerd, like a nerd that bums out other nerds because he walks in <laughs> and goes like, who wants to talk about Neon Genesis Evangelion, guys? And people are like, no, we're, we're good. We're all right. Uh, but what's fun is you end up finding the people at your workplaces that are like those weird people who really love like cool, weird stuff. And I've made like, I, I mean, Jared, you being a great example where like we were both just into like kind of weird, insane, you know, odd video game stuff. And, you know, it was just like, oh, man, like like that, you know, and, and like weird G4 remnant things, you know. And so all of a sudden, like, oh, we're having this long conversation about Dan Reichert and what a weird, beautiful genius he is. 
uh, and and all of a sudden it's like, oh, now I've got a new buddy, and we kind of there's a shorthand because if you like you know this and this, there's a chance that you're also into like this and this, and it can kind of be fun like that. And we're like, we like some similar things, so let's make a movie about a man whose penis turns into a werewolf. Well, look, man, we threw you into the fire real hard. You uh, you made the mistake of being a very professional and talented uh, creative person in film. So now you're just trapped. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe I should have taken up also, a career in acting then, because apparently uh, I've sold that. I've way oversold I mean, my you've, abilities. You've, uh, you've, you've seen what we've done to actors. So, I mean, I feel like uh, you and I probably still end up better off on the other side. That's of the probably camera. true. Uh, we've never stripped you down nor rubbed raw meat on you. So, Not, uh, I mean, yeah, it's just uh, there's a place for everything. So we'll, we'll see what the future yeah. holds for that. There's still time. But, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, and that was that was one of those things, too, where it was like. I was like, ah, Jared seems pretty cool. I bet if I pitch this to him, he's not going to report me to HR. <laughs> uh, so, I, you know, I think it's kind of interesting that being a nerd is now kind of an asset to things like stand up comedy, because I feel like 10 years ago, you couldn't go up on stage and reference Ninja Turtles and get away with it. But do you, do you feel that way? Do you, do you find that like maybe uh, your, your set of skills is, has found a, a, a time in our, in our society? I think it helps. I think there's like a good and a bad to it because on the one hand, like, like it's definitely like having a large, uh, you know, basis of stuff to pull from is definitely like never hurts. But like, I never, I guess I like at the back in the day, I never really looked at it as being like nerdy. Like my brain always looked at it as being like well read. It was just like, oh, you like know a lot of stuff. Like you know a lot of movies. You know a lot of books. You know, like and and to me, like video games and comics stuff like that just kind of naturally fell into that thing. Like if I like this thing, I want to go as far as I can learning about it. And I think that like that mindset of just being like very knowledgeable and being able to pull stuff is, is very helpful as far as stuff goes. But, and I think that like being able to reference that stuff works, but there's definitely like a catch 22 to it. Cause you also watch a lot of comedians, especially like, like I would say like young aspiring comedians. And uh, this was probably a few years ago. This was really prevalent. It's kind of mutated since then, but where you had the reference comedians who were literally just like, Hey, remember this thing? Wasn't it crazy that this thing was kind of this thing? If we look at it, like from through a normal lens, like we could see that it's kind of ridiculous. And there was a real, I think like gold rush of like novelty to that, that then very quickly, turned to like oh yeah you're doing that thing that 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 person and that person did like but you know because you i mean we've all known that guy who's like late to the party on the thing hey do you guys remember you know babies like what was up yeah and and like like i think like my my least favorite sentence in the world on like to hear a comedian says do you guys remember it's why i thought that like the member berries on south park was such a brilliantly constructed (laughs) thing Mm -hmm. like nostalgia is like yeah it's such like, like a cheap way of of appealing to people yeah, but on the flip side, there's some great tools there, too, because, like, there's there's a lot of ways that you can turn that into... Because, like, pop culture, on the one hand, is, like, fun things, but it's also, like, kind of a cultural collective unconscious, where it's it's there is not just the product, but kind of the emotions within that that you can mine. And, and you know, it's almost like a fun little psychological trick you can do with the audience. You're like, I'm going to reference this, but it's because I'm trying to elicit this emotion out of you so that I can turn it over to do this. 
Or if I can take this thing that disarms you because you like it, I can talk about this other subject that makes you uncomfortable by putting it through the lens of this other thing. And there's, I think there's a lot of comedians out there who really do a phenomenal job with stuff like that. I, I would recommend there's a, one of my dearest friends in comedy, Ed Greer, is a master of that. I have seen him do bits. He has like a 20-minute bit about Blade, the vampire hunter, that is about like race in America, but it is also the funniest goddamn thing I've ever heard. And, you know, has jokes about like vampires having cold wieners and other like weird, funny bits, you know, within it. <laughs> and, and it, it disarms an audience into hearing stuff that they'd normally like tense or weird, or even just roll their eyes at, but he finds a way to like couch it in this thing. We all like, like this awesome Wesley Snipes action franchise. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh, he tricked me into thinking. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize like the, the psychology and the art that goes into just setting up, the whole bit. Oh yeah. It's, it's uh to me like that's, that's a lot of the fun of stand up. Like, like writing a joke is, is fun. But like for me, I, I come from, you know, a, a lit major background and kind of looking for symbolism and stuff and things like that, but also like a uh, real heavily into philosophy and psychology and finding all these weird little ticks that when you watch, like when you're standing on stage doing stand up, the audience is this weird single organism made of a thousand you know, different moving parts and trying to figure out how to manipulate that into doing like the one thing you want, which is to like laugh is like, there's so many different ways to approach that. It's almost like a, like a weird puzzle that's kind of keeps changing every time. That's great imagery. <laughs> it's the, the dorkiest answer. Stand -up, uh, I could give. So the answer was, uh, yes, I like doing stand up comedy. Yeah. <laughs> the answer, uh, was, uh, yes. And, and I like, <laughs> uh, before we move into talking about, uh, our topic of remakes and remasters uh, as someone who's uh, been working on a few podcasts over the years, Jared and I are just starting. Do you have any advice for us on what we can do to uh, improve our brand or expand? Uh, it's, it's been exciting watching you guys kind of like put it together and stuff like that. And I think that you guys are, are off to a good start. I think that the best podcasts are the ones that like let themselves organically develop and don't, need to stick to what they think it needs to be and kind of let like, like it's weird. Like podcasting has kind of become my favorite form of media. Cause I'm such a big fan of like independent media. Like I love independent movies. I love independent music, all that kind of stuff. And podcasting is like this weird new frontier of people who have never, or maybe only sort of been involved in media, getting to literally take point and do all this stuff. And I love that when you go on and look at how many podcasts there are, some people are like, bro, there's too many. Like to me, it's like, sure, but there's something for everybody. And the good stuff sort of finds its way out there. I would say that my biggest pieces of advice I, I normally give, uh, uh, keep it easy and keep it fun. Like, and you guys seem like you're having a good time as far as like edits go. Always be careful. I mean, I've got one of my best friends in comedy and podcasting is Rivers Langley. And that man loves to edit. Uh, my God, I hate editing. So for me, it's always like, no, nah, we're going to go as uncut and kind of raw as we can, but still keep it, you know, good on, you know, the audio front to try to go with that. But just cause like the more, the easier it is for you to like put the podcast out the more likely you will still be doing it 500 episodes later. Absolutely. I mean, I listened to your you podcast know, with uh, Will, your four-hour-long podcast with Will Smith. Oh, and, I, just listened, uh, <laughs> I just listened to that the other day, too. Yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome, man. Fun. But, uh, yeah, we're, we're still getting our, our, our podcasting legs here, so uh, I feel obligated to cut out uh, all the fat 
on ours, but well, you know, as, as we as we go along and eventually get more comfortable doing it, then uh, that would be the goal. Also, we're not doing a weekly podcast. You know, we only do two a month, so that helps. Yeah, and that and that definitely helps. Uh, I would say the other thing is I'd say our consistency is really key, like to building an audience. Mm. Is like you know, and that's a thing that I learned from Chris. You know, working on the Nerdist podcast is just like, man, you just you pick that date, you set that release date, and you just like you hit that release date. And the the it's crazy how true it is. Like it's crazy how if like if you say to the audience, hey, Wednesday mornings, it's gonna be there, like, and it's there, they will trust you to and and show up, and they will keep listening, and they will get involved. And then what's nice is like you know for a while, like like Natalie, who is our producer on our show. Uh, you know, would would get nervous sometimes if we're like, oh, it's going to be later, it's going to be a thing. I'm like, oh, look, we've hit it 50 times. Like, post a tweet that says, hey, it's going to be late, and, and you know, it'll get there. But, you know, they will learn to trust you if you've earned that trust. And then also, you always have to remind yourself, it's a free product. Yeah. <laughs> so, at the end of the day, if anybody complains, you're like, oh, I'm sorry, the, the free thing was not to your liking. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd say mostly just, like, have fun and, like, be, like, let it be what it's going to be and let it reflect you instead of it needing to be. I think like really early on in rad, you can hear me and Burnside are both trying to be these like professionals and trying to go like, Oh, that's very interesting. Would you expand on that? Or, or, Oh, look at that. And now it's just like, Hey, what's this thing? Or like, Hey, I'm going to like, like the, the, we just did a three hour episode about uh, Tom DeLonge's alien books that like uh, just came out. And there's a piece in the intro that like, the, the episode's insane and it's re- super weird. And it's, it's Brent Schmidt is our guest and he's, he's one of my favorite people. Oh yeah. Earth. Brent's great. But like, but, but my God, there's a riff at the beginning that like the episode's so weird that no one has commented on. And, <laughs> and it, it, to me, it's the best reflection of like a thing I would not have said two years ago, running the podcast that now is like my favorite thing, which was like, we were talking about the Burnside tried to go to the Spider-Man, uh, you know, gameplay trailer for, uh, at E3. Yeah. You know, the new one that uh, Insomniac's putting out. Mm-hmm. And and I had said, you know, it was great is you waited two hours in line and I watched it sitting on my ass at work while eating lunch. And uh, and and I said, like, did they add extra content? He was like, no, I think it's the same trailer. And I said, what they should have done is for one of the screenings that day, taken a five second clip. And when Spider-Man's, you know, like super close to the screen before he shoots towards that, like constructed, like guys here for that's under construction you should have turned to the audience pulled up his mask and done a little like i eat pussy like finger v <laughs> thing. but just in one of the screenings no so one will ever believe you in, yeah exactly and so it'd be like well what do you think i think it looks great i thought that weird eating pussy thing was a little unnecessary and you'd be like what are you talking about and there's just two thousand people who saw that that never see it again it was like, really it was never... really weird when spider-man dropped the n-word in that trailer yeah see you get it and like like to me that those are the kinds of jokes i never would have made early on because i was afraid of you know being too side tangency or too non-professional and now like to me like that that is our podcast is like the this topic is a way for us to just get started and then you see where it goes right on now uh we don't we don't have to include this part in the podcast but did you happen to see the devolver digital uh press conference Ooh, i did not Oh, oh dude, you have to right. watch it right after we're done recording. It's the most ridiculous I, thing I've ever seen. You will you will love it. So it was like a pre-recorded conference. I guess they streamed out during E3 and it it is my favorite thing from E3. Is it is it like good bad or is it like no, hilarious No, good? it's 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 good good. Like they Cuz like Devolver Digital are cool as shit. Yeah, so they're like wacky like dudes. I oh, I, lo- I lo- the yeah, they are they are so cool. They take it over the top. In like the greatest oh, way possible, I think you'll I think you'll get a kick out of it. 
I'm definitely going to go check that out. All right, moving on to our discussion of uh, this episode. We're talking about remakes and remasters. Uh, where do we want to start, Jared? Uh, I think we should start how we always start. A little bit of a history behind remakes and remasters. One of the earliest examples of remakes that we could find was a game that came out in Japan first uh, called Western Gun, which funnily enough was just shortened to Gunfight in the U.S., Uh, but it was re-released in the U.S. uh, on better hardware and uh, improved animations. Basically, just they kind of improved the graphics a little bit for for better uh, arcade boards. Not really a huge deal of a re-release, but, uh, you know, they figured as long as they're porting it to an American audience, they would you know, updated, so it runs a little smoother. Uh, And then we had uh, Space Invaders in 1978, 1980, and it was converted from the original arcade version to the Atari 2600. It's considered, like, the main reason that Atari 2600 sold so well, because people were like, well, I can get Space Invaders at home. So that that was kind of one of the earliest things, and probably the the gaming industry at the time saw that, and they were like, well, damn, maybe we should just start re-releasing all of our shit on home consoles. So that kind of continued on... um, into like the nineties. Well, and and you actually brought up here, if I if I uh, can, the, the the idea that like back then arcade remasters going to console were like dramatically less good. And I think the Atari version of Pac Man is such a great example yeah. of that. That 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 and then that's it's is that still the best selling game for Atari? I believe it is, at least in the research and, that I was doing. And it's crazy because it fucking sucks. Like, yeah, it's, so that's it's, it's the. I'd uh, see. It's I weird. Mean, I was reading. So I, a lot of the reviews when that game first came out were essentially comparing it to the the arcade version of Pac Man and saying like, yeah. "Oh, this is you know such a, a poor replica of that game." Um, but I I've actually heard that a lot of those people that wrote those initial reviews have since gone back and said like, "Eh, actually, the Pac Man Atari twenty six hundred was an okay puzzle game in its own right and not." really as bad as they had initially rated it no i like like from a tech point of view one of the things that i think is super interesting about the pac-man for the 2600 is that like you can't have more than one ghost on screen so they all blink to different locations mm. and so they only technically all exist when they've blinked in but they're moving so constantly that like they pop around like it's it's like a weird tech cheat that like for a game i don't love i am always very impressed by i'm like oh that's a really good way to way to utilize your data there did you ever watch uh game over that documentary about atari uh oh yeah yeah they uh like all these games were just made by like one dude yeah and i don't mean like one guy made all the games but i mean each game was was typically made by one person so i think it's pretty impressive that they were able to to get to that point with pac-man even if it was sort of a pale replica of the the arcade game and I think it is interesting because it does represent a lot of the things on the 2600 that that are like the kind of nerfed version of arcade versions. And it is interesting that like that was for a long time how remakes rolled, you know, because yeah. it was, you know, I mean, I guess those are almost more like ports, you know, than anything else. But it's such a like odd th- to see how we've like shifted. Yeah. And the when I was doing research for this topic, typically I'm able to find sort of for, you know, for our other topics, I'm able to find like, oh, this was the very first first person shooter. And I can reference that. This one was a little bit harder because porting games from hardware to hardware was common practice. It was like, oh, I made, you know, this this space game that runs on whatever, like the Imlac PDS one. But I want to I want to get it to run on the, you know, the Apple II computer. And essentially you had to 
remake those things from the ground up every time you wanted to spread that game further and further. So there wasn't the, like, like one clear cut, like this was the first remaster ever made. Yeah. It's a man. Oh, and I, I feel like if you, if you know, you could almost take it all the way back to that. All those pong machines from the late seventies are basically all weird remakes of each other. Are they? I, I'm not familiar with it, that. I mean, well, I mean, Oh, well, cause the, you know, back in the late seventies, like there were all these, like the odyssey and things like that. There were all basically just these like pong machines that just were the hardwired pong, you know, it was like the wood paneled box that played Pong and had the two rotating panels. Oh. And there was like a ton of them. There's a, there's a couple of great YouTube video runs that'll, that go through a few of them. And, uh, like they're, they, I love them. Cause I, like, I've got a weird, like, like soft spot for like vintage electronics aesthetics. Cause I always like to see what looked sleek, like as you know, when things were not able to be fully sleek, like, and so there's just a, a there's a the design part of me loves a lot of that stuff, but those are really interesting just cause like everybody had their version of a pong machine and, you know, and every version is like a little bit different so that it's, you know, not quite pong, you know, and, and, uh, you know, so that's almost could be considered some, you know, definitely in the DNA of that. Uh, Cause I love that like video games from the start have just been like, all right, how do we get this on all these different things? Well, I thought it was kind of cool that people played games in the arcades for years and before there was a home market for it. And then they started porting it to things like Atari 2600. And they're like, well, this, this kind of sucks compared to like what we were playing in the arcades. But then like as early as like 1990, like they came out with like the Neo Geo so that people could like, yeah, basically straight up like plug arcade machine boards into like a home console and play at home. It was like wildly expensive, but you could totally do it. Um, so Those Neo Geo carts are an amazing thing to see. These, these massive, you know, b- b- plastic shells around giant arcade boards. Yeah. You're just like, here, let me carry around this like trunk of games that I brought with me. And oh, by the way, there's like five games in there, but uh, it's cool. Cause like people, people like saw that move. and then they were like, well, it's not the same as the original. So I, I'm going to figure out a way to, to play the original. Did you ever see the uh, the Halo twenty six hundred? Yeah, it's amazing. Is that the D make? Yeah, yeah. I love a D make. Like I got a real soft spot for all that. Well, in a way, isn't that like what we're talking about here with Pac Man and Space Invaders and that kind of stuff? Like those were sort of downgrades from their original versions. I thought it was kind of cool that I think it was Bungie who actually made the Halo twenty six hundred, wasn't it? Uh, I think they saw somebody working on it and then like supported them on going like, hey, look at this thing. We're not going to sue you. Go ahead. Keep making it. So they went the opposite direction of like Nintendo where they send out multiple yeah. cease and desist letters. <laughs> well, now we know it's because there was a reason. That's true. I, I thought the I thought it was like on an anniversary of the Atari 2600. They a, a couple of companies made like version shitty versions of their games for the 2600. I thought that was one of them. I could be mistaken. I'm I'm doing this all from memory. I didn't. Did you ever see the Denny's Atari 2600? Denny's? No. Yeah. So remember, Denny's did the the Atari promo like dinner menu or like food menu for a while, and I <laughs> no. guess there was like promotional stuff where like you could go and download games. And they remade old Atari style games, but themed around Denny's food. Ooh, that sounds fantastic. A game everybody yeah, was, was asking for. <laughs> they finally got my letters. <laughs> Wait, when, when, when was that? I when... love your pancakes, but let's explore video games. What year was that? Was that recently or? Uh, yeah, I want to say like like 2009 or you know something like not that long ago. That's amazing. Yeah, so like we should, I think, for the purposes of this podcast, kind of define a couple of things uh, that we're talking about here, like remakes and remasters are, are kind of self-explanatory, but 
we still now we have things like you know like the HD version of games that came out two or three years prior, and I I don't know if I would necessarily classify that as like a full on remaster or a remake. Definitely not a remake, but PlayStation Four re release of Grand Theft Auto Five. I don't. I guess that was a, it's just like an upres, right? And same thing. But they but they added first person mode to that, which was a real that, game. That's changer. true. Like they did do some work, but it was you know especially around that PS3 PS4 era where. Bunch of games. I came think out like The Last of Us and Tomb Raider, are like the best two examples of like, look, it looks slightly nicer. Yeah, exactly. I mean, which is fine. Like, if you didn't buy a PS3 and then you got a PS4 and like, now I have a chance to play this. But I don't know. I mean, I feel like there's there's quite a bit of those recently. Yeah, I mean, I I didn't play Shadow of Mordor when it was on PlayStation Three, so I picked up my copy for PlayStation Four, and it's in some ways it's like, oh, you know, cool. It 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 looks good. But in some ways, it's also like, oh, man, like even just a few years difference, you can really see the uh, the limitations of the previous generation's technology. Even if it doesn't seem like it's that drastic at the time, it's a pretty big jump from PlayStation 3 to PlayStation 4. I guess we could get into some some blunders that have been made over the years. Well, I've got a couple of goods and bads going along. Yeah, um, before you know, so we can get into it. Like, uh, I mean, as far as because I feel like yeah, I'd like to throw a good one out before I start just wildly shitting on everything. Uh, Resident Evil Remake, which just I have not gotten the ports yet because uh, uh, I'm I'm sort of holding out because I know in October I'll break and then I'll do it. And that way I haven't torn through it over the summer. Uh, goddamn, that game is great. Like, and I, I was, uh, uh, I've always been a massive Resident Evil fan, but especially like when I was in high school, I belonged to no less than two different Resident Evil message boards, right? As that <laughs> game was getting developed and coming out. And like, I still think it's one of my favorite looking games of all time. Like, it's just, it looks spooky. It looks, it's beautiful. It's terrifying. It's grotesque. And the ad- additions they made to that game are so cool and then i i have not gotten a chance to play the new version where they kind of tweak the controls i'm real curious to because i've never played it sans tank controls i think that'll be a very interesting even update beyond that but like even just the crimson head system would have been enough you have cleared like nostalgia for the resident evil series was it a remake or a remaster for the resident evil oh it was a oh that one was a full-on remake would it still be would it be good for a new player someone who never played Resident Evil or did they hold on to a lot of those sort of old mechanics I I, uh, I 100% think that like if you're going to dive into Resident Evil for the first time it's it's I would recommend the remake over the original pretty thoroughly cuz like there's so many versions of the original Resident Evil that that some versions are better than others like vanilla Resident Evil There's like the director's original, cut original yeah, and and I would definitely lead people maybe more towards the director's cut than vanilla Resident Evil. But to me, like if you if you want to play like the actual original game, the DS version is phenomenal, and I think that like that is is probably the way to go. Uh, as far as like if getting a first impact of the game, uh, I do think that the remake is maybe you know especially if you're going to end up playing things like four and seven and things like that i think that 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 first one gives you a really great taste of what the mechanics of the early game were like but also like some new stuff that makes the game a little more interesting because like the original resident evil even though it's one of my favorite games is so repetitive and there's so much backtracking and they at least add elements in this version that make it a little more interesting and it's a little more visually exciting and they add some new boss fight stuff that helps like, you know, they add all the, the Lisa Spencer story stuff that really kind of like helps kind of add to the narrative and things like that. And I really, I feel like if you, if you look at it too, a lot of the aesthetic of that game has been carried over to both four and seven in different ways. 
Yeah, I, I have also been playing the... I, at the beginning of this year, I started playing the Resident Evil HD remake, and the mechanics, man, I mean, they are exactly how I remember them playing out, which is to say, I don't know if they hold up quite as well as I, I hope they would. Like, dying and then having to remember, like, everything you've done since the last time that you used an ink ribbon to save is, like, it's kind of brutal because you're like oh well oh, it's real brutal. i forgot this uh this this clay key that i found like five hours ago and i forgot to save <laughs> and i also like i left all my ink ribbons back at the i have to go backtrack like it's it's very unforgiving as far as mechanics it, go. it's funny because to me like that uh, is a hundred percent true but it's also funny because i feel like occasionally i'll see like you know when people talk about like really unforgiving games with like a roguelike or an old Nintendo game or like with the obtuseness of figuring out and remembering puzzle stuff like in like a day of the tentacle or something like that. And it's always funny to me that like in those games, people love these like unforgiving elements, but then Resident Evil always gets like shit for doing the same things. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know. I think that maybe uh, it's a little bit of the rose tinted glasses when they look back at that stuff. And there's a lot, you know, it's, a little bit different than than the Lucas Arts like point and click adventure games where people went as far as to recreate uh, the Scum engine so that, that felt the same. I never quite understood that because like how how much different could this engine feel? It's a point and click. There's adventure. a very sp- specific and beautiful type of person that is that old Lucas Art adventure game fan, and I look at it and always think like, man, I wish I loved anything as much as those people love old LucasArts games from the 90s. Yeah, there's and a lot following. I, I loved a lot of the LucasArts stuff, but it, it maybe falls into that same category that Resident Evil falls in, which is, well, at least for me, I'm speaking for myself, oh, yeah. is oh, that, is that I, um, I, I kind of prefer to leave those experiences in the past. I, wouldn't, I, I loved them at the time, but I would almost like hate to play a, an updated version of it and have it not live up to my memories of those games. I, uh, I feel like we're, this is all floating towards like, I imagine if I were, were square, uh, you know, it's fun to announce a final fantasy seven remake. Uh, and then, and then you realize, Oh shit, nothing we make is going to live up to the, the amount of like nostalgia and rose clever glasses people have for like a game that like ha- is a uh, kind of a mess at times. You know, if you oh, go yeah. back and play it now, oh, like, uh, yeah. it, it, uh, it doesn't look particularly good. It's, it's a, you know, a JRPG-ass game full of a ton of grinding and random battles and, like, just time-waste parts. And, like, and I think it's interesting just because, like, as a Resident Evil fan, I'm just like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, those are for sure, like, real shitty parts of this. For, for looking at that one, I'm like, oh, that that's a game that's been canonized since the moment it came out. I think, like... Everybody seems a little touch and go because they really want it, but at the same time, they're like God, if this sucks, this really shatters, you know, my vision of what a good game is and everything I've been building off of since I was twelve. I'm yeah. simultaneously very excited for a Final Fantasy VII remake, but also uh, I wouldn't want to be in Square Enix's shoes right now because whatever happens to that game, nobody's going to be happy. You're either yeah, oh, no one wins. Yeah, you're either going to have the group that's like, well, they should have updated this. This is this is this doesn't hold up well. Like, why'd they leave the same? Or, you know, then the other side, you have the group of people who are like, why did they change everything? Yeah. So this one, this one seems unique in that they're not trying to remake every single aspect of it. It looks like they're taking the same character and story and just basically making a new, 
a more modernized RPG out of it, which I think I, is, I don't know if that's true probably, though, because I heard that they were going to use the engine from Final Fantasy 15 and use like real time action battles as versus you know the the uh, turn based stuff. So it's like that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, they're they're taking the old story and characters, but they're making a more modern RPG out of it. Sure, and if it works, then that's great. But I mean, coming from a studio who can't seem to make a right financial decision on almost any game between you know like their Tomb Raider games and the the Hitman fiasco. Like, that Hitman, I'm, that Hitman story hits you hard, huh, Jared? Well, it's just it's just another <laughs> example of Square Enix making kind of weird decisions, financial decisions, and then there's already turmoil with the Final Fantasy VII remake where they were outsourcing it to a third party developer to to work on it and they they pulled that from them so now that they're doing it all in-house so i will be very surprised if this thing ever sees the light of day to be honest why really oh you don't think it's ever coming out i don't know man i who knows like square can't seem to the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing over there so i i really hope it does but it's just such a big project for them and they they seem to always be in some kind of financial straits where they, they they can't make ends meet for some reason and god only knows why I was just going to briefly say that I think doing the remake the way that they are, like updating it to be a more modern style RPG, I think is the way to do it because it helps separates it from the original game. Like if the if the remake comes out and it's garbage, at, at least at least personally, I won't feel like it is affecting my memories of the old game. It's not like, oh, man, this this played so poorly back then. It still plays poorly today. It'll, it'll be kind of like its own thing. And I'll be able to. But you're a rational person. <laughs> Oh, I'm still going to get on the internet and make bomb threats if it's bad. Oh, God. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, no, I, I, I hope, it, I hope it's like, good. But this, conversa- this conversation, I feel like, almost doesn't matter because this game is not coming out anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, if it, it could be a very out, different, it's going to be 10 years Very from now. different. I mean, it only took them, like, what, 11 years to release Final Fantasy 15? So, um, you know, maybe by the time I'm retired, I'll have some and they time said to play it. I'm, they said I was looking at the like, years. 15. 15's like real good though. So I feel like at the same time, like I'd rather them put out like a good game than like a shitty thing. So Absolutely. They've said it's going to be about four years out for this one and they've shown gameplay for it. How do you do that? How do you say a game is four years away and also show gameplay for it? That's pretty mind blowing. <laughs> You're like, money, please. But yeah, I mean, it's a good point that you brought up like playing a remake of something that I remember fondly doesn't ruin the original experience for me. So uh, I, I don't really know why people would be so upset that, you know, that they, they would write off the, the game completely. There was a cool article that I uh, linked here from The Atlantic titled Nostalgia is Ruining Video Games. And he makes a point of people keep, I mean, he's not wrong in the fact that people keep buying these remakes and remasters. So people, the companies choose to make them because it's easy money. But he says that we're less interested in the gaming experience than we are in recreating the memories associated with them. And I think that's true to an extent, but that doesn't like erase all the good times that I had in the past. If I play, if I, you know, replay final fantasy HD remake 50 years from now. And I'm like, Oh man, now, now my childhood is ruined. So I don't know. I I just, I I don't understand that mentality sometimes. I get that. You guys playing any other remakes, remasters? Um, well, the other one that I was going to throw out that I remembered uh, that jumped out at me was the uh, Twin Snakes for the GameCube. No, that was a weird one. They like completely turned that game into like an anime. Yeah, and it's it's uh, 
it, there's there's something about it because like like I love the Metal Gear is another one of my favorite runs, uh, and and I love I feel like the Metal Gear for the PlayStation is one of the games that like it doesn't you know, graphically doesn't hold up, but I feel like the gameplay, you know, if there's one thing Kojima's really good at, it's making you really feel like you're using the system to its fullest potential. And I feel like that really does do a good job of that. Whereas, like, the, the GameCube one just feels like an odd thing. There's something about it, there's, like, an uncanny valley to it. Because, like, I like Metal Gear Solid 2 and 3 that it's kind of built on that same engine for, but I look at it and go, like, God, there's something off about this. And I can't tell what it, it is. It seemed like the people who remade Metal Gear Solid, uh, Twin Snakes, they they didn't play the original, or they they were tone deaf to the original. It was such a weird thing tonally, like everything from like the dialogue delivery to weird cutscene changes that they made. Uh, it was it was kind of perplexing. Yeah, it's very strange. And then there was that Silent Hill uh, HD collection. I think maybe you, Ooh, let's talk. Yeah, about I think it. you're the first it one to bring me that out up. So hard. Oh, because uh, like, uh, and I, I still keep because like Silent Hill Two is one of my favorite games. It scares the shit. I mean, it literally like gives me an anxiety attack when I play it. Like, but I'm such a weird horror fan that I'm just like, oh, this is good. It's like the pure heroine of spookiness. It's one of the best games ever made, man. It's so good. Oh yeah, and and uh, I still have my PlayStation Two copy that I, I hold on to, and it's it's I hold it dearly and stuff like that. And I but sometimes I really just want to sit and play it, but I don't want to have to like get everything out and set all my shit up. And the fact that, like, the only version of it's playable is, and I, you know, is this kind of weird, effed up version of it. It just, like, bums me out. Because I still think about just buying it just because, like, oh, maybe I'll just play, like, this crappy version of it just because, like, I want that experience. I'm what not familiar was, with so, it, so what was changed? Yeah, it was, like, real buggy, right, when it in the re-release? From what I understand is that they, they have lost the the master the source code for silent hill 2 and so there is no way to go back to the actual source code so they had to like rebuild large portions of it and like they lost the fog because you know the mindset was like oh we don't need the fog anymore but like that's especially in silent hill 2 like the fog is is one of the elements of the game yeah that makes no sense like everyone knows the the fog was like essential to like the story so I don't, I don't. But if you're a game designer, like it makes sense because you're just like, oh, like I can get rid of this fog, and now you can see all. It's like it's it's you know, draw distance is something that in most games seems so important, and is something that HD freaks want. But this game like literally used it in such a brilliant way to like make it part of the game. That you're like, oh no, you've totally missed the point here. <laughs> yeah. So I know that you're wanting to replay Silent Hill um, around the time that PT came out. I uh, yeah. got that itch too, and I started looking into it. And I, I was actually wasn't even aware of the Silent Hill HD remaster for a while. And then I started reading about how bad it was, and I was kind of bummed out because I didn't have access to the PlayStation Two at that time. But I still have I'm my so PlayStation torn. Two disc. Uh, and let me yeah. tell you, the, the emulators for PlayStation Two are a hundred percent functional. It took me, oh, it really? took me less than twenty minutes to get an emulator set up, and I popped the disc into my computer, and it worked perfectly. So, oh, hey, friend, you wanna, you wanna, when we finish this up, uh, uh, send, send a friend some information. Yeah, dude, it's, it's, it's awesome. Like the, the PS2 emulator, it, it, I mean, it varies from game to game, but, uh, yeah, it was super simple and. I've been having a ton of trouble finding uh, a, a emulator for PlayStation or PlayStation Two. So, yeah, I'll have to, I'll have to figure to out which one it was that I downloaded because it was uh, a couple years ago now. But yeah, it's uh, it's real good and it runs way better. So um, oh, that's awesome. I think if there's a future for stuff like that, you know, the, leave it to people who are interested in 
archiving old stuff you know it's unfortunately a lot of companies are in it they'll, they'll re-release things for the monetary reasons like people are going to buy it right so they they want to limit access to emulators and stuff but then you have stuff like straight up losing master source code for silent hill so uh, i think it's great that there are people out there doing that it's not all about piracy and i was really happy that i was able to, to play the game that i already owned and i have a playstation 2 somewhere but you know, it was way easier for yeah. me to. So you're you're theoretically doing everything as vaguely legal as possible. Exactly, yeah. it's a great. Whatever one. helps you sleep at night, Jared. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've talked. To, we've I think we've brought up a few things that are like good about remakes. Obviously, there's the capability to play old games that people might have missed. What are some things that are maybe not so good about remakes that we wanted to bring up? I mean, you always want to see new and original things. Like it's definitely a bummer when you like watch somebody's like press conference they're like hey there's 13 like though especially for me like it's it's because i still have not uh, acquired a ps4 yet and it was because i came to the ps3 very late in the cycle within the last two years of the run and so i still had a ton of back catalog games to play and most of what ps4 was putting out was just full retail priced re-releases of like games that i uh, just bought for 20 bucks you know on playstation 3 yeah and and so I would say up until maybe the last year or two, a ton of what I was looking at was stuff where I was like, oh, I don't know if I really need this because like uh, there's not a ton on here that's jumping out at me. Yeah, it's, I, I wonder how much time and effort gets taken away from studios to handle things like re-releases. If there was no such thing as like, oh, let's remake a game or remaster a game, would we see a lot of... Um, you know, a lot of new content or those jobs that wouldn't exist if there was no such thing as remakes and remasters. That's sort of, I don't know, a hypothetical question, I guess. I don't know that there's any one good answer for it. But yeah, I agree with you. I, that's always my I mean, fear with things like remakes is that, oh, they're taking they're taking talent and, and people away from working on what could be new, great experiences to to work on, you know, what what most of the times feels like i don't know like cash ins that that might not be fair cuz it's not always it doesn't but I mean, always it, feel that it's kind of our fault as fans too because like we keep buying and getting excited for the remakes and things like i feel like if if it weren't for the fact that we're clearly a market that will buy that and is more likely to buy that than something original or something new that you know i i definitely get from a business point of view like why they do the things they do it's just still a bummer I, I mean, it's sort I of agree. a double-edged sword because, okay, so at the time of this recording, E3 is just wrapped up, and they just announced Skyrim again for, I don't know, the 8 billionth release of Skyrim, and I could not be more, like, lukewarm excited about that. Like, who... I just don't need Skyrim on I every single it, device that's ever going to come out. And, like, what what has Bethesda been see, doing? See, it's funny because I, I look at that one and and kind of took an interest in it just because, uh, like, I, again, as a PS3 guy, like, wasn't the best version of Skyrim. And the idea of being able to have a version of Skyrim you can take on the go, I was like, oh, that's kind of fun. Like, that's, that's, a, that's the perfect, I'm going to sit on a plane and be a piece of garbage and play Skyrim for two hours. Sure, but, like, did like, they did thing. they work on the Nintendo Switch Skyrim for the last two years? Or... I mean, when they could have been working on a new a new engine to release their next game on that's not not the engine they've been using for the past ten years. I also think Bethesda's so big though that like I can't imagine the team that was doing that 
that Switch version of Skyrim was like an, an A team. Like that seems Absolutely. like something that was like yeah. four guys named Gary did that for the last six months. But from but the consumer the, standpoint and the fan standpoint, you can certainly see where like a lot, a lot of people would come to that conclusion. Like say Fallout 5 comes out next year and there's still running on the same engine and people are going to be pretty bummed yeah. about that, I think. But Bethesda's so weird too because like they've become this weird shifty cryptic company who are just like, hey man, like we'll we'll get stuff to you. Don't worry about it. And then they just like fade into the darkness. You're like, what did that mean? Was that a threat? Like, what is happening? <laughs> are we gonna fight now? Like, did we just like? Up? And then and then they show up with because like I feel like if if they hadn't consistently as of late done these like weird surprises, whether it's like the the Fallout Four release date or how fucking good Doom and and Dishonored Two are. Like, there's just all these kind of elements where I'm like, all right, I feel like you guys have earned the benefit of the doubt that whatever you're working on is probably cool. Yeah, I'm kind of, like, stepping lightly with some of that stuff because, yeah, you're right. I forgot Doom was a Bethesda game. That was uh, yeah. one of my favorite games last year. And that's, it's just so funny. That's like, Bethesda that just threw publishing, that though. I don't, know if that's, I don't know if that makes a difference, but that was, wasn't that id that made that game and Bethesda just, like, but, prints, but presses Bethesda the discs. But Bethesda seems pretty involved with stuff. Yeah. I'm just, you know, when the next Fallout comes out and inevitably is riddled with bugs is it a valid argument to say like if you guys weren't busy porting switch or the skyrim to switch you could have had those people fixing the bugs in this game i don't know ah i don't know to the business that just because like uh, because i work in in podcast entertainment there is like a fan thought that like if you don't if you did this that means you didn't get this and i feel like those things are so rarely actually connected like the number of times I've worked on something or, or been a part of something where like, well, if they had made that, the they could have been making this other thing. And I'm like, no, those two things were just never on the table at the same time. So I never, I, I don't know that like that mindset, I could see how that mindset makes sense outside of the industry. But I think within the industry, it doesn't always actually work like that. And then there's the other side of the sword where they announced Shadow of the Colossus, which already had an HD remake came out for the PlayStation 2, was re-released for the PlayStation 3, and now they're... I'm not entirely clear on if they're remaking it or if it's just another HD up-res. It kind of looks like they're remaking it, right? But it was, I think their presentation was sort of vague on what it was actually going to be. But I never played any of those versions, so like I'm definitely going to buy the new one. But I've already seen people talking about, well, like one of the things about Shadow of the Colossus was it was so dirty and fuzzy looking on the PS2 and that really added to the atmosphere. So if they clean it up for the PS4, it's going to not be the same game, not the same feeling, but I'm still totally going to play it because I don't, I don't have that nostalgia. So I guess yeah. maybe there's a, there's that market too, right? I, you know, one of the things I guess I'm hopeful for with, with uh, like Shadow of the Colossus is I know that the original game also had issues with like, with um, bugs and stuff like that. And it'll be good to see if they, use this opportunity to fix a lot of that stuff, fix some of those issues that um, detracted from the original experience. I guess that's one of the uh, the potential benefits of doing these remakes is it gives developers a chance to kind of go back and uh, and, and reevaluate some of those things, some of those systems, or or hopefully in Shadow of the Colossus's case, some of the actual bugs that, that affected it. How funny would it be if they actually added that uh, secret Colossus to this one and didn't tell anybody? Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's definitely a whole thing, and hopefully, it, it, we live in a, a time now, especially with um, how connected everyone is on the internet, and people are capable to like pull game files and and evaluate all that stuff. I think it would be real difficult for them to keep something like that 
you know, the fabled final Colossus, a secret where whatever it was, like, when did the first game come out? Like 10 years ago, 15 years ago. I'm as, as someone who's now in my thirties, everything is like 10 or 15 years ago to me. Ten, yeah. Yeah. That all happened real fast. When that game came out. I, do not, I, I do not care for it when I'm just like, Oh, that was not long ago. That was a uh, 12 years ago. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> Jesus Christ. 2005. <laughs> that, how long ago could that have been? Oh, oh, that's the grave you're pointing at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I hope that they're able to sort of work something like that into this remake, remaster. I'm also not very clear on on what they're pitching this one as. But I mean, I always want to see original ideas, and it's fine like that we keep rehashing old stuff. And there are people who didn't get to play it originally, or maybe a new generation of gamers who get to experience a better version of it. But and to me, like I, I always think that at the end of the day, comes down to like you can be pissed, but like, hey, man, if if somebody else ends up falling in love with a game the same way I did, like, why do I have to be the old asshole who's like, no, now that I've experienced it, no one else must. Like, yeah. there's a that part. That seems like such a bummer. There's a part to this that I and maybe we haven't talked. To, you know, we, we mentioned that like, oh, maybe they're pulling people away from these teams that could create new content, but we haven't really mentioned that. Like maybe because of the prevalence of remakes and remasters, they're able to create new content. Like maybe because it's real easy for them to port Skyrim to the Switch, it doesn't cost them very much money and they're going to make a shit ton of money on it. And that allows them to make Fallout 5 a badass game. There's also, I guess, potentially that angle as well, that these ports might be ways of, for these companies to generate income while like filling a need in the community of like people who missed out on the experience or want to relive an experience and then take that, that money and, and put it into new experiences that are, that are even more badass than they could have been without the remakes. I think Nintendo is a yeah. perfect example of that because for the past two generations, the Nintendo Wii was kind of a weird thing, but then people got tired of the gimmick, right? Like they got Wii sports, they got a few weird motion control games. And then like some of the better games that came out for Wii were, kind of more traditional style games and then the wii u came out and you know there were a couple of games that people were really into for that but it was still kind of a lukewarm reception and they did a few i wouldn't say remakes but they did marios and zeldas and stuff that they've done for for years now they're now they're doing some weird stuff with switch which i has been so far very well received by a lot of people um, you know, I love my Switch. It's amazing. I, I, you know, I they still re-released Zelda, a new Zelda, but it's completely different from any other Zelda. Um, the new Mario looks absolutely batshit insane, and oh I, my god, I'm so excited for that. And like, I, I'm glad that Nintendo is able to now, you know, maybe the last few years have allowed them to kind of reflect on themselves as a as a game developer at least, and and see like, well, maybe they'll start taking some chances again. So may, maybe they were kind of stay in the course for a while but now they're in a position again to to kind of take some weird chances and so far it's been paying out for for what you know people have been seeing from upcoming games like mario and uh that arms game i heard people people were pretty cool with i'm just really excited yeah, I'm, for I'm nintendo very, and that, which I'm i haven't been curious. since the, the 64 so i think that says something most definitely i wish my kid was older so that i could justify buying a switch because right now my wife would shoot it down, but I wish I could be like, oh, but it's for it's for Griffin. I uh, I picked it up and knew, and my girlfriend would be like, ah, I don't know if I want to play it or not. And I I bought it and maybe I had it for about a week, and then she has just had it since and just been <laughs> playing Breath of the Wild nonstop. So I'm just like, oh, I'm glad. Uh, 
because she was like, I don't know if we need to switch. Like, it just seems like uh, now she's, I think she's put like 100 hours into the game. But Nintendo's also kind of bad about their virtual console system too, right? They, uh, every system they have has this new virtual console Nintendo eShop where you can buy Mario, you know, Super Mario World again for $15, but then it doesn't transfer over to the new system and you're like, all right, well, now I'm on the Switch and now I have to rebuy all these old games. And they're doing that really weird online thing uh, soon where you, it's kind of like Netflix, but for video games, but you get to play old games. I don't know. So Nintendo is also guilty of that kind of thing too. That seems one of those things that, 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 you know, seems weird, but like could also end up being brilliant. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying like it is brilliant, but I'm like, that's one of those things I look at and go like, God, like a Netflix for like eight bit and 16 bit games does sound kind of genius if you pull it off right. If they continue to support that thing. Yeah. Um, sure, I want to play Super Nintendo games, but maybe I don't want to, I don't need to own them forever for another $15. So if I get to pay whatever, I think they're only charging like 20 bucks a year or 40 it's 20 bucks a year. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, it seems very reasonable if you, if you just want to go back and for a weekend play the original Mario Kart or something. I think that's, I think that's super reasonable. And it's an interesting, interesting direction for them to go with that. Oh, here's the thing I'd meant to bring up that that I think is is within the realms of this that I thought was a ton of fun. Is did you, either of you guys play any of the NES Remix stuff? Mm-mm. No. What's NES Remix? NES Remix was a thing that they put out. It was either last, I think it was like two years ago, and there were two volumes of it for the Wii U, and then they put a best of version out on the DS, which I have. It's like fourteen bucks, and I cannot recommend it enough. They took a bunch of old NES games, and they have versions of it where you play that basically illustrate like weird game mechanics elements and stuff like that, where you like go through and there's like 20 levels that are all take you through all of the legend of Zelda playing all these weird things. They're all time attack score based pieces. We're like, you know, like the first one is go get the master sword or, or you know, and it's, it's, or, you know, literally run into that first cave, go get the thing. And what it's kind of interesting is it's illustrating for a whole new generation, how eight bit games were played before there were like real heavy tutorial elements to it. But it's also fun if you want to like play through a game for the super for the NES that like you don't want to have to sink all the time into like you know like I can play through Zelda two without having to wait through all the bullshit parts of Zelda two, and then they also have parts where they change the ROMs out and they put like you know Samus into a Zelda two level or like you're playing Mario as Link or Link as you know Mario what? and stuff like that, that sounds crazy and, oh, I can't believe I never oh heard they're that. great. Oh, dude, they're so good. And to me, those are a great example of like what is kind of a remake, but is also like taking old content and turning it into something new. And I, I cannot recommend those enough. I think they are super fun. They're super clever. And I would kill to see them keep doing stuff. Like I would love to see a Super Nintendo remix. I'd love to see a, like an N64 remix just because I feel like there's so many like weird, flawed games there that you could do some really weird stuff with. Like, I never, ever want to play Castlevania 64, but, like, put, like, Mario 64 Mario into a Castlevania 64 level, and let's get weird. That, was that, also that sounds a very, amazing. That was also a very yeah. gray game. Yeah. Oh, it's the grayest. <laughs> Remember when we thought gray was cool? Yeah. <laughs> uh, here's a question for you guys. What what games would you like to see remastered? Assuming that you... you find remasters beneficial but what would you what do you want to see remastered kyle um i thought that shattered memories was fun but i would love to see a like fancy redo version of the original silent hill because like that is a to me like a very significant game but like man time has not been kind to it 
you'd yeah, like to really see that in, in the vein of like the Resident Evil one, where they like yeah, up, very, like some, some, some along those. Yeah, and and even if you did it like a Resident Evil Seven, you put it in first person or something like that, would be an interesting version of it. But I think that that, that game is is one that I would love to see. Uh, I would love to see uh, Dino Crisis. I feel like as a franchise, that, God, that, that game was either, weird. God, the Dino Crisis Two. If it's fun to play it because the bones for like Resident Evil Four and Devil May Cry mm-hmm. and a bunch of stuff are kind of in that game. Like the first one's kind of a piece of shit. The second one it makes no sense, but it's super fun to play. And just to get like, I feel like there's not enough games where I have a machine gun and I'm shooting a dinosaur in the face. I completely I- forgot Dino Crisis existed until you just mentioned it. Yeah, I'd like to see and, a and remake of Parasite Eve. Yeah, that was gonna be my other one. I uh, with we, like we are all the same, the same like, age and themes. Play the same game. Yeah, like that is. I mean, those those Dino Crisis and Parasite Eve. I feel like we're sort of around the same time. Man, that I game was love crazy. Parasite Eve. That's a, like, uh, that is. That's another game I forgot yeah. existed until you just mentioned it. Uh, they need yeah, to remake these games. <laughs> I yeah, I truly think Parasite Eve would would be. I think it would probably play better now because it was so such a weird plot and kind of a weird game system at the time. Yeah. Even their and battle I mechanics, like, I remember were pretty strange and they, uh, I don't know how well that holds up over the years, but I mean, if you think about it, everything's kind of an action RPG now. Like the fact that like, that was what got me into that game is I was never a big final fantasy person. Cause like, I didn't love the battle system. And then like parasite Eve came along and was like, Oh shit, I can actually like run out of the way of stuff. Yes, please. Let's do this. Yeah. The game is real crazy. So I would like to see them do something like that. I just want to, I want to think about it. Actually, I just want to see like a lot of the '90s uh, Japanese games re-released because they're so weird even back then. And to see that uh, updated, I think would be surreal. I think is the word. Yeah, there's there's a couple. Like, I think Black would be cool to see mm. get remade, like from the PlayStation Two. Yeah, that was uh, that came out at like a weird time because it was like right at the end of that console life cycle. So I think a lot of people might have missed that one. It's a uh, uh, yeah, and and it's such a fun, very satisfying game. I, I want to see uh, I want to see XCOM, the original XCOM remade. I now, I saw you put ass. that in the show notes. Now, what about that? Like, did you have you played any of the recent XCOM games? I did, yeah. And they're what what they're, didn't do it for you? The, it's 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 on very on rails. I'll say that there's there's not a whole lot of room for you to. Uh, experiment and fail in those games outside of combat. Like combat, you can go in and get your ass kicked and and ruin a campaign. But outside of that, there's not really a whole lot. The game holds your hand through a lot of that stuff. One of the things I loved about the original XCOM was it really lets you get into the nitty gritty of like managing your finances and uh, and picking it. You know the order you wanted to research stuff because you could research stuff out of order and and really screw yourself up that way in that game. And I think that in modern game design, a lot of times we've, we've, we have like Kyle was mentioning, like tutorialized a lot of stuff where every system has to be explicitly explained to the player. And and if, if you're not getting it, it's because the game failed to like tell you the correct way to play it. Um, And I I love the old XCOM because it just, it just drops you in at the deep end and says, figure it out. Kind of the way yeah. like the, the old civilizations did where you had to like, you know, the Civ games came with <laughs> something the size of the Bible that you had to read through to understand how to play them. I, I love that, that old style of gameplay. And I think it's you see it less and less in modern game design. 
So I would love to see them take the the modern graphics from XCOM from these, you know, the most recent iterations of that franchise and apply it to the old game mechanics. Yeah, right around the time that XCOM 2 came out um, in the last couple of years, whenever that was, uh, I was watching the good guys over at Giant Bomb. They went back and played the original XCOM on PlayStation, or maybe they're playing the PC version, but that thing, I forgot how complicated the systems were in that. It straight up yeah. looked like spreadsheets on yep. some of the menus. There's a, there's nothing quite like 90s deep PC gaming yeah. for truly feeling like you are playing homework the game. <laughs> the other one that I'd like to see remade, just because I feel like it, it just got so shafted at the time, is uh, Persona 2. Like, because they, they did so much, like, weird translation and, like, didn't put the full pieces of it out. And I would love to, to, because, like, Persona 3 is one of my favorite games of all time. And I would love to go back and see what some of those early elements of that looked like in kind of a nicer or at least a a, a better cared for translation of that. Yeah, I've never played any of those in that series, but I hear nothing but good things from people who have. And I would definitely pick that up if that was they're, uh, they're real specific but if they're if if i have a weird obsession with games set in high schools like i, I love bully i love uh, the the you mm. know persona games like it's it's like a weird fascination i have and i think that like the you know there's so many weird mechanics to those games that are just you just have to take on good faith and have fun with but if you give into the madness you can have a really good time. Yeah, that one seems like the Persona series in particular just seems like you get in for the style and you stay for the the gameplay. I mean, yeah, and it's and it's funny cuz like I know some people who, you know, really focus on the combat on it. For me like the life simulator stuff is almost like kind of the best parts. I haven't played. I I I can add nothing to this conversation. I haven't played any of the Personas. I've seen a lot of people like really jamming on the new one. I uh, I have not gotten a ton of like I'm maybe only two three hours in and man like I have a little bit of vacation time coming up and I am just going to turn into a Japanese schoolboy who runs runs people's dreams and I'm really <laughs> excited about it. Are you going to play Persona Five? Is that, is that oh, what you're yeah. talking about? Yeah, I've heard good things about it's that too. A, I also heard that it's like a ninety hour long game, so I'm like shit. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know yeah. how, how um, we get around to that. It's a uh, uh, they're 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 an investment, but it's because you live in the game. Like you are just you are that person. You are in that world. I've been trying to make a bit of stand-up bit about persona work for six years and it's still not there but what the one day you're just gonna see me pacing across the screen just just ranting uh, partially in japanese about all my responsibilities in this world and how i have to make it to my ramen shop job or i'm gonna be in trouble but at the same time i gotta study for the big exam (laughs) persona 3 you can Persona 3, you can take a dog to the movies. And at that point, I was like, well, this is my favorite game of all time now. <laughs> like, sorry, sorry, Silent Hill 2 uh, and your incredible uh, uh, cinematic uh, breakdown and psychological look at uh, the broken mind of men. But uh, you can't take a dog to the movies. In this but game. wasn't that wasn't the whole Silent Hill 2 thing run by a dog? Yeah, which is similar, but you then don't take that dog to a movie okay. theater in an overcoat because the dog really wants to see this foreign film. Man, it seems like we, we used to be so much more advanced. <laughs> There's definitely a lot less secret dogs in games now. <laughs> That's what I'd like to see going forward. I feel like that if that were the end of the next Bloodborne or Dark Souls game is you walk in and there's just like a corgi that's been punishing you this whole time. That would be the greatest thing in the world. (laughs) Well, what do we want to see from developers in the future in regards to remakes and remasters? And 
is it good how it is or are there specific things we'd like to see changed about the the way that they handle this stuff jared i'll, I'll point i'll point it at you first i think that i would just like them to take more chances with weird stuff i don't know it's it I don't know how that applies to remakes because I think inherently doing a remake is kind of safe money for a lot of games. I don't know. Personally, I would, I'm more interested in original content. The NES remix thing, I think that's cool. I, if, if people wanted to explore doing more stuff like that, using old games and, and kind of putting those into new situations, um, but that can be tricky because then it just seems like you're milking old things with DLC or something. So I don't know. I, I, I don't really have a good answer for that. How about you, Kyle? Um, I like that they've gotten away from just the HD touch-ups, but at the same time, I don't hate the fact that that existed. There's just the part of me that's like, oh, I wish we were a little more original in what we're going with. But like, it, as far as things going, there's that layer of keeping people interested in games so they don't kind of fall into obscurity, and the fact that like it is kind of a, a, a layer of preservation or getting people interested in old stuff that is neat and i would like to i like that element of it and i think that like uh you know if if a couple of those things you know swing to the fence you know i like i can't get that mad because i'm gonna buy the shit out of that metroid 2 re-release you know or remake so i can't be like ah i wish they'd go back to the original things because like you know everybody's got their thing so i think as long as like we don't lose sight of it or it doesn't feel like brutal cash grabs or mostly those ones. And I, and again, it was so much of it was at the, the transition of, of two consoles and the fact that no one had a PS3. Mm-hmm. But like, those are the ones where I'm like, ah, I don't love this. This is just like the fact that Lara Croft's hair has more like, like, you know, animation to it is not as exciting to me as like something like, oh, they, they, you know, took like Tomb Raider, the last revelation and updated. I'm like, oh, that's insane. Why would you pick that one? <laughs> I think my biggest fear that we've 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 talked about a little bit, so we don't have to keep rehashing it though, is just that remakes and remasters um, take away from creating new content, and and that probably doesn't exist, at least not the way that um, that we we think about it, observing from the outside. Um, but moving forward, I would you know I just I hope that developers keep in mind that as as players we value new experiences. Personally, I value new experiences more than rehashing old ones. And as long as remakes and remasters don't uh, impinge on that, then then go for it. Keep pumping that stuff out, especially if it helps you make new content. Like I was saying earlier, like if, if porting Skyrim to Switch helps you get me, you know, the next Elder Scrolls game sooner, do that, man. I'm, I'm cool with that. Most definitely. Cool. Well, I think we solved it, everybody. I think we did, yeah. That's <laughs> problem solved. Next, hunger. How we're going to solve that? <laughs> if you have any questions or comments about remakes and remasters or any of our previous topics, you can always send an email to us at podcast.gbfeature.com or connect with us on Twitter at gbfeature. Uh, also, we're still soliciting ideas for future topics you'd like to hear discussed. So if you have any ideas, go ahead and send those along as well. And Jared. Take it away. What do we got? Uh, So our last episode that we recorded was all about violence in first-person shooters. And uh, one of the things that came up during that discussion was the connection that you have as a player to your character and uh, how that differs between first and third person. And we had a response from our friend Mike on Facebook. He says that, uh, I definitely invest myself more into a character in third-person perspective. However, in first person, 
I feel like I'm more like the character and more prone to jump scares or vertigo. So I'm more drawn, but it's more about me than the character. So, I mean, that kind of echoes sort of what I was saying is that I don't really feel connected to my character in a first person game, but I do kind of feel a little bit more immersed in the world. So I come to those games for different reasons. Uh, and Kyle, I was wondering uh, from your perspective and, and what kind of games that you prefer playing and like, do you go to games? It sounds like you enjoy going to games for the story and, and atmosphere. Do you prefer third person or first person games? Uh, I kind of like, I like both because I feel like they, they serve different functions. Sometimes you want that kind of like fun third person story adventure piece. And then sometimes you want to be immersed in something. But like I, I find that that for me, whatever they're using to best fit their game you know i i'm willing to go with like i uh you know was kind of skeptical when i went to go play resident evil 7 because i was like oh i don't know like they're kind of changed the format and i really think that they did a great job and it is terrifying and like you definitely see it's pulling a little bit from like pt and outlast and things like that but i think that it really is kind of effective but but yeah so i guess to me both both serve different functions i definitely feel like that that you know, prognosis that you are more invested kind of in a character in a third person is definitely true. Although there's occasionally times I feel like RPGs, you kind of end up becoming, you know, one with the character just because they're kind of a weird cipher. And I guess like that's mostly my thoughts with like the Persona games. But I think there's a little bit of that in like a Final Fantasy something too, where you're that you are kind of that person. Whereas like at the same time, like in like doom it's all about doom guy and like i'm playing as doom guy but i never think of myself as doom guy or bj blaskowitz or any of those kind of guys but in like other first person stuff i'll i will get i thought i think the best example is maybe the the uh move in from bioshock from bioshock to infinite that like booker has way more personality than bioshock guy but yeah, like did that character even have a name in bioshock i don't i don't think he does and so, I, like, I thought that was a really interesting, and I thought I was going to hate that because I so liked being that guy in the first one. But I ended up liking Booker and thought that it was like, I man, every part of that game I thought wasn't going to work, and I fucking love that game. Uh, and and uh, so so yeah, and I think that sometimes like I love that like something like uh, Grand Theft Auto like let you now flip between the two because I think that becomes an interesting thing where you can or Skyrim was kind of cool about that where you could kind of play how you want to play, which is also kind of neat. <laughs> It's the longest answer for me to say they're fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I agree. Like, there, some first-person games do it better than others. Like, Booker in uh, Bioshock Infinite had way more personality than, than most first-person characters. Than Skyrim Jones. Yeah, Skyrim yeah. Jones. I think I named my uh, character uh, Dick Butt McGee. So, uh, <laughs> some, kind of some weird, weird situations there with immersion. But... I think it- um, being able to switch between perspectives is potentially interesting because I think, you know, again, we talked about this in that last episode where the ending of Bioshock is so impactful because you've been playing that whole game in the first person perspective. And when the the twist in that game is revealed, it, it happened to you. It didn't happen to your character. You were the one being taken advantage of through the mechanics of first person shooters. So for a game like Skyrim to put that control of perspective in the player's hands could maybe be problematic in that if there's parts of that game that they've designed to be impactful in the first person, but you instead played it in the third person, you might now be missing out on that. I don't know that that there is anything like that in Skyrim, but 
that that brings up an interesting point with the with those games like Grand Theft Auto Five and Skyrim that you might giving that that control to the player could take away from the game. Yeah, and like those Bethesda open world games, especially that Gamebryo engine, it kind of just feels like you're you're there floating around the world while things happen around you, and you don't have much like there's not like a tactile feeling of like being connected like like physically with that world a lot of the times. Physics get a little wonky. Like even in third person, you can see that like your character is kind of like floating above the ground a little bit, and his steps don't quite match the movement. So it's a little bit weird, and it takes me out a little bit. Um, whereas like a game like Resident Evil Seven, it's in first person, but everything feels like it has weight to it. You know, like something runs into you or knocks you down, and it feels like you're getting knocked down because of the way that the can the camera works when that happens like there's so many subtle things i think really make a huge difference in in connecting you to that person especially like i i, I kind of hate silent protagonists especially first person yeah i do too so um you know like little quips like something jumps out at you and you kill it and your character just goes like jesus fucking christ and you're just like yeah totally <laughs> like i can totally relate to that <laughs> as a person because that scared the shit out of me so uh, you're just this guy this guy knows what's up yeah. anti being terrified <laughs> uh, we got another comment on facebook from our friend james um he says just got done listening to the first episode of game breaking feature it's really solid looking forward to the next one so you know 100 percent review rate right now for game breaking yeah. feature just thought i'd throw that out there <laughs> And all I can think of was, and he was never heard from again. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I've been pretty bad about thanking the people that have been writing in. But yeah, thank you, James, for the the comment. That's really nice, man. And we appreciate thank you, it. thank you, Mike. Thank you, Josh. Uh, thank you, Jeff. Who else has written in, Jared? Um, Ashley. <laughs> Ashley oh, yeah. wrote in. Yeah, everyone. Thank you, everyone, Ashley. Like it's it's really important. Wait, did your to wife us. email the podcast? She totally did. Yeah, I asked her to. <laughs> So, I love that. No, it's good. I mean, we're, we're just, we just want interaction and people to add to the conversation. So uh, we, we encourage any, everybody, anybody right. and everybody to write in. Thank you, Alex. And congratulations, Alex. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I also ran a poll on Twitter because uh, we briefly got into uh, inverted axes on uh, our last episode. And uh, I am a staunch supporter of the Y inverted axis. And uh, before I tell you the results of the poll, Kyle, which way do you lean? Uh, oh, I go, I go non-inverted. It's uh, you, you people are freaks, and you have to be yeah. so. Out of I, 185 I, episode, votes on Twitter, 72 percent said that they go non-inverted, and uh, yeah. it's a little sad about that. I lost my own poll. I'm considering <laughs> actually just deleting it and editing this part of the, the podcast. <laughs> in that uh, episode, really, it took you guys how many episodes to become fake news? Yeah. <laughs> I, in, so in that episode, I mentioned that the first time I experienced inverted y-axis it was kind of like revelatory to me like oh this is how these games are supposed to be played and I think it's because I and, and I don't have any science to back this up but I feel like it's because it's actually a trait like it, it's it's a genetic yeah. trait that you have and I think that the poll is is like highlights that because if it's a recessive trait you would expect to see it in 25% of the population typically for most traits. And the, the poll pretty much shook out that way. I think it is sort of like the, uh, like a recessive gene that makes you more susceptible to um, playing with inverted, uh, inverted controls. And my family, it, within my family, 
um, the majority of my cousins who play video games all play with the uh, the inverted axis. It's not like we all got together when we were kids and said, oh, we're going to play video games this way. We all, you know, we all arrived at that ourselves. But I think it is something like weirdly genetic. Steve, there may come a time when your son grows up and you're going to have to have that talk with him. Um, yeah. And I hope I just hope that you'll be accepting with whatever control scheme that he chooses. But, uh, yeah. you know. I, I would encourage you to to show him the light. No, Guys, like no son that, uh, of mine. <laughs> control control schemes are a fluid concept. <laughs> he's uh, he's on the spectrum. <laughs> cool. That well, that's it for listener emails. I think, right, Jared? Yep. Let's wrap this up. Yep. Just as a reminder, you can always send us emails at podcast at gbfeature dot com. That's going to do it for this episode of Game Breaking Feature. Before we get out of here, I want to thank our guest, Kyle Clark. Kyle, thank you so much for uh, for helping us out, man. Happy to be here. Yeah, it, it's been great having you. I'm a, I'm a big fan of This Is Rad. If people haven't had a chance to check out This Is Rad, even though I've been telling them to every single one of our episodes, I would recommend people jump in at the uh, the VR episode when you guys had Will Smith on, because that's a, that's a really funny one. And also video game related. Yeah, that was uh, that was a lot of fun. That uh, was uh, part of our Varch video game run where we did a bunch of video game episodes. Rock on, man! Where can uh, where can people keep up with you? Where can they follow you? I am uh, at Kyle Clark is rad on the uh, Twitter and the Instagrams, and so that's probably the best way to get a hold of me. Uh, I also would just throw a quick thing. I have a, an album on Spotify and I, uh, iTunes and everywhere else called "I'm a Person." That's a stand up record that I put out. Uh, at the end of last year that I'm very proud of. So if uh, I seemed moderately amusing or you're like, who is this asshole? That's a good spot to go check. <laughs> I hate this guy. Album. Where I can I, where can I go thing? listen yeah. to more stuff yeah. like this that I'm going to hate? <laughs> yeah, but uh, that, that, and then this is radpod.com uh, is our website for things. And you can go and find links to all your podcasting services there. We just did a nice little refresh of our website. Um, yeah, and it's, uh, it's uh, we try to do fun stuff. Plus all the videos on this is rad uh, video uh, on YouTube. That uh, Jared has been the DP for a ton of. Nice. I wait. Which ones? Which what have you? What have you guys been working? Uh, on? You, let's see. You did Where Dick. You oh did yeah, Arts yeah. Crafts okay. He did uh, uh, the new one, PDZDs. A couple other ones. He's a uh, he's he's part of the part of the little family over there. Yeah, yeah that's nice. You, you, can, guys, you, can you should, you should check it out. There are a lot of fun um, PDZDs. We might be doing a a second episode of. Oh, there there is a first draft of the script for episode nice. two, and then there there may or may actually here. I'll drop a weird little exclusive. Uh, there is uh, looking like there's going to be an arts and craft sticker too as well. Fantastic. <laughs> nice. Yeah. You can tell watching those videos that, uh, I mean, definitely that like family atmosphere. You can tell you guys are all friends just doing what you're passionate about. That really comes through. It's a, uh, we have a lot of fun. Well, we appreciate you coming on the podcast, Kyle. And I know you're a busy dude. Um, you got stuff to do today, but I appreciate taking the time off to do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, and it's uh, I wish you guys nothing but the best. I think you guys have got a really cool concept for a show out here. So I'm uh, I'm looking forward to seeing where you guys go yeah, with it. Yeah. Thank Thank you. Hopefully, one day we can make it a good show. <laughs> That's the goal. <laughs> <laughs> Baby steps. Yeah. All right, guys, as a reminder, we release new episodes every two weeks. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss anything. If you like what we do and want to help us out, please head over to iTunes and give us a review. Um, I actually took my own advice and went on and reviewed um, all the podcasts that I listened to. It's the first time I've ever done that, but I figured since I'm, I'm prompting people every week to do it for us, I should go do it for the, the podcast that I love and enjoy. So follow my example. Go uh, give us a review on iTunes. Unless it's, I want to unless think. it's less than five stars, then forget about it. Yeah. 
Uh, I want to thank, like I do every week, Kyle Clark for making our theme song. Definitely, <laughs> definitely go check out This Is Rad. He's our and, guest. Yeah, he, it's <laughs> weird. I was like, I know yeah. him. <laughs> and lastly, I want to thank you, the listener, for taking the time to listen to us chat about video games. This has been Game Breaking Feature. Remember, it's okay to disagree. Just don't be a dick about it. All right, thank you guys. Catch you guys next time. Cool. And scene. Uh, good time. We did it. We did it. We made it through. We really did. <laughs>